Welcome to a special edition of the College 12 Pack. I'm your host, Patrick Kahn, Senior Editor of the College Wires. With me, Tyler Matino, as always. You know, Tyler, I fully intended weeks ago when I set this vacation up, we were going to be done with college realignment and I was going to get to enjoy my vacation. But this past weekend, college football decided to flip the NCAA on its head. And uh, now we have 16 teams in the Big 12. We have 18 uh, in the Big 10 and another 16 in the SEC. But they didn't change anything. It's really our focus, Big 10, Big 12. Um, So it came out. We thought Friday morning Pac-12 is going to sign their media deal. The only problem, (laughs) uh, Oregon and Washington didn't show up to the meeting. uh, That Those reports came out later. Uh, with the Big Ten once again raiding, uh, we thought Cal and, and Stanford was going to be a throw-in, uh, but that didn't seem to be the case at all. They weren't looking at them at all. It was Oregon. It was Washington. Um, this felt that felt like the death blow. The, you know, everybody was talking about they didn't want to be the one, um, but it feels like the Big Ten gets their way. They get, they get two prominent schools, and they don't have to pay them a full share, which works out for them. Yeah, and, and even in spite of not being paid a full share, they're still going to be making more money than they would have if they had signed that Apple TV deal. So, yeah, I mean, like, I, I think when we talked last week, we, we sort of saw the writing on the wall here. This looked like what was probably going to happen. You know, it, it was weird. Friday morning, like you touched on it, there was kind of this weird sense of optimism that they were actually going to get a deal done. Like there were, you know, some reports coming out. Like, Look, with all of these reports, anything that's getting – that you're hearing about, you're hearing it for a reason. Someone's leaking it to someone with an ulterior motive. Um, so I think it's, it's important to kind of, when you're kind of, you know, when we go back and prognosticate exactly how this all went down, I think it's kind of worth remembering that, you know, that might've been a slant from somebody, uh, you know, in terms of how close they were to actually signing the deal. But yeah, obviously so the deal doesn't get done. Big Ten's going to 18 teams. And, you know, that was the first shoe to drop. The other one we'll get to in a little bit, but it all, but, you know, spelled really the end of the Pac-12, um, at least as we've known it for more than 100 years um, in some form or fashion. So, you know, yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting you bring that up. You, you know, the we, we felt like, you know, it was going in the right direction. We had heard, you know, the night before the talks between Oregon and Washington were falling through. But it almost felt like Oregon and Washington were trying to get this out. It's almost like they were negotiating through the media mm-hmm. to try and get the deal. Uh, you know, to go to which the, everyone's uh, been doing this whole time, right? Negotiating right. through the media, yeah, absolutely. And, and so, what happens is this: you know, they make the move. Okay, so what does that mean for Oregon? What does that mean for the Ducks? Uh, you know, they get to play in the conference that they ultimately wanted to be in. Because if you remember when USC and UCLA went, all the reports were that Oregon wanted in too. They wanted an invite. And it didn't come at that time. They had to wait a year. Uh, they ultimately get it, uh, you know. And, and but but the big deal is now, and what we're going to talk about a lot is this feels like a football only move for the Big Ten. Uh, not not in terms of that's the only le- or the only time they're going to play the Big Ten is in football, but this felt like more of this is what they're going to do. And I thought it was hilarious because when you saw the meeting of the Board of Regents. The head regent led this call from a golf course. Uh, and that just goes to show you, it's like, hey, uh, let's get this done so I can get back to my 18 holes. But it didn't really look like he stopped playing 
during the meeting. He, he kept playing on. But uh, for to me, looking at this move, Oregon to the Big Ten feels like football only type of move. Yeah, and I, I wrote about that, you know, the, the president of the board of trustees or the chair of the board of trustees taking the meeting from the golf course. I wrote about that over on For the Win. I mean, I think it's really just you couldn't get a more emblematic picture of of the of everything that's happening right now than than a you know chairman of a university board of trustees, you know, half-heartedly taking a call that's gonna dictate the future of the sport for decades to come, you know, doing it from the golf course obviously kind of a metaphor for the level of seriousness with which a lot of people are taking this and also probably emblematic of how much of a done deal it really was at that time. Look, I mean, going back to the football thing, like you said, it is really a football focused move, but it's one that, you know, for the big 10 does make a lot of sense. I mean, this is a a big money program, both in terms of, you know, generating revenue and also the fact that it's got, you know, a billionaire shoe tycoon, uh, you know, fronting a lot of money to the university. So, uh, you know, a program that steps in, I think, is poised to compete from a resources perspective with all the programs in it. I think, you know, when I was thinking about where does this team fit in, to me, the parallel really felt like Penn State to me. I feel like this team kind of fits into that sort of tier in this conference where I don't know if they're going to be competing with the Ohio States and Michigans of the world. You know, they just recruiting to Oregon. They've done a good job, but it's still not as easy as it is to some of those other places. Maybe the Big Ten will change that. But yeah, I think they're a team poised to at least have some success. You can go ahead and throw out that 2024 flight schedule that they already put out. Uh, we're going to get a new one. Now, now Washington comes into this, right? Now you have Washington coming in. Um, it, it's really funny because Oregon and Washington are both leaving their in-state rivals behind, and we'll get more into them in a little bit. Uh, but now you got Washington coming in. Again, football only move. Now Washington, when they're good in basketball, uh, their arena's packed, but look, but looking at what they're trying to do here, Washington doesn't want to be left behind. They want to go to the Big Ten. Um, I don't think either one of those teams wanted to go to the Big 12, but they knew they had to make a move uh, when you really looked at the deal that they were presented by Apple. Um, and so now we have Washington who, you know, is probably in the same tier of that Oregon-Penn State. You know, they're, they're the next guys up. Um, I, I guess you could throw USC in there as well. They're kind of that next that next group. Um very similar to kind of how it felt in the Pac-12. They weren't the top dog, but they were they were climbing. Uh, how, how do you feel about Washington, and do you feel the same way you did about Oregon going to the Big Ten? Um, not quite. You know, I think I think Oregon is a bit better poised to make this jump. You know, Washington is a successful program. Don't get me wrong. Uh, most recent Pac-12 representative in the college football playoff, but this isn't exactly a blue blood program to me, my sort of read on adding Washington, it, it reminds me a lot of the move when they added U- UCLA along with USC, where to me, it kind of seems like the big 10 is trying to get the best of both worlds in a way they want to take a, you know, football blue blood, uh, you know, big time value program, but then they're also going to take with it, you know, a, a more academically focused school, you know, one that's a little bit, a better fit culturally in the big 10. I think that might be their way of sort of trying to preserve that. I mean, Washington's a good football program. And and I think, you know, as we'll see this year, this might be their year to be that top dog in the pac 12. Uh, I do think they'll have a much harder time though in the big 10. And I think the recruiting issues I talked about at Oregon, I think they have those issues, but probably amplified even more to a degree. Yeah. Trying to get people to go to the Pacific Northwest. Where have they, you know, they've, they've gotten a lot of Samoan, 
mm-hmm. born players. They've got or uh, the heritage anyway. Uh, they they have had success on the West Coast, and I think going to the Big Ten helps them in that regard. Just because now you know UCLA and USC can't say they're the, they're the only West Coast teams going to the Big Ten, and and you know you're going to be on that big stage. You're going to get to play the Ohio State, the Michigan, the Penn State. They're not going to be able to do that now because they're all going going to be there. Um, but I think you're right. One thing, you know, it, it seems like a lot of people in Washington are happy. A lot of people in Oregon, let me tell you, uh, softball players are not happy. Uh, we saw this, uh, I believe it was the August 4th, that evening. Uh, plenty of softball players, most notably from University of Oregon, took to Twitter. Uh, Tara McGowan, I'm just going to go ahead and read her tweet that she put out. Has anybody thought of the repercussions that conference realignments have on student-athletes' quality of life? You ask them to travel across the country every other weekend while balancing school and a social life. This needs to be talked about more. And, I, you know, I think she brings up a valid point. Um, as we, I said in the opening, this feels like a, you know, football-only type of deal. This feels like a football-only type of move. They're not thinking about basketball and they're definitely not thinking about sports that don't bring in revenue, uh, specifically a softball or even baseball. With the, with the amount of trips that they have to make in a season, they're traveling twice a week at least, you know, depending on if they're playing in tournaments and, and things of that nature. So looking at all of this, um, I think she brings up a valid point, and I, and I totally understand the outrage of softball players across the country, specifically uh, in the Pacific Northwest. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I feel for them. Like, it sucks. You know, this move was made not only without consulting them, but without, you know, really even their interests in mind at all. Um, I mean, you know, when you look at sort of the the, the greed and, and the influence that television money has when it comes to football and basketball to an extent, but mostly football, I mean, the real casualty of all this and where we're heading are – the non-football sports. I mean, like, you know, these softball players, I mean, look, they're playing a lot more games. You know, at the end of the day, football, you're maxing out at least right now at 15 games in a season. Softball, they're playing like 50 or 60. I mean, you're traveling all the time. You're traveling midweek. You've got multiple games a week. Balancing that with class schedules, and especially when, you know, unlike a lot of these football players, especially at the absolute highest level, they don't really have, you know, lucrative pro prospects after this. Like, you know, their classes are important. It, it, it's just a tough situation. And I think it, it highlights why a lot of people are, uh, a lot of people are, are, are pointing out that, you know, maybe the, the solution here is to have football separate, be its own thing, you know, let the lower sports sort of reorganize into to regionally based conferences where you can preserve historic rivalries and stuff like that. Even, you know, I saw Rick Pitino went as far as saying that. Um, I think, look, I think they have valid points. I, I don't know if that's even something to be feasible. I mean, that would raise its own set of problems. Uh, you know, how that would affect Title IX compliance and stuff like that. I, I just don't know. So, you know, those would be potential obstacles. But, I mean, at the end of the day, for right now, it, it's just – it's a sad situation. It sucks for them. And I don't really see a great, you know, way to fix it. You know, it's interesting you bring that up. And, you know, that brings up a whole, a whole lot of problems that we'd have to talk about. And we can always reserve that for a later podcast. But one thing I will say – when we look at FBS, it's the commissioners and the athletic directors who run college football. So why why not separate them? You know, let them be the let them be their own thing. I agree with that 100. All right, but let's let's switch gears. Let's talk Big 12. As we know, 
following the announcement, we knew this was coming, Tyler, right? Arizona, Arizona State, Utah coming to the Big 12. And that spelled the end uh, of the uh, the Pac-12. I think at that time when it was the Pac-7, uh, seven schools were still, you know, in line. There probably was some saving it. Uh, but then you lose Utah, the last two Pac-12 title uh, champs to the Big 12. You lose Arizona and Arizona State, who were key schools, I think, for um, – I know basketball. Maybe not football in recent years, but when you look at it as a whole, that, that spelled the end uh, of the Pac-12, in my opinion. Yeah, you know – the Big Ten, like I mentioned, was the first shoe to drop. You know, the Oregon and Washington leaving was the first to officially happen. But I think that was honestly, by that point, I think we kind of knew what was coming because this was, I think, even when we recorded last week, it was all but a done deal, at least with Arizona. I mean, they had, you know, they last week had applied for membership, had gotten approved. They just kind of had to go through the final process of getting it, you know, approved by the Board of Regents, which happened um, was more of a formality. And then, you know, there seemed to have been some real pushback with Arizona state and Utah, at least initially, which we'll get to in a second, but I think they saw the writing on the wall too. And yeah, I mean, with those teams making that jump, you know, it, I mean, basically, like you said, that was basically the end. I mean, you probably could have salvaged it when you were at seven, you know, you add a team, a couple teams from the mountain West, maybe a team from the American and that there's a solution there, but not a great one, but a solution. But yeah, with this, they just really didn't have the opportunity. They, they really didn't. And you look at the Big 12 now with adding Utah, you know, that makes your football uh, football side of things stronger. Uh, you add an Arizona who's who's on the uptick in football. You add Arizona State who we'll see what Kenny, Kenny Dillingham does. But you look at basketball-wise, uh, really makes it strong. Arizona is a historically strong program. Utah's pretty good in basketball. Arizona State, um, they you know, they're up and down. It, you know, it really depends. Uh, but then you bring them in to play the Kansases, the Texas Techs, the Houston's, you know, all the big, uh, the Baylor's, the Big 12 programs. I, you know, it really helps them out of time. Uh, you know, I was still curious to see if if the Big 12 was going to go further and, and then look at Gonzaga uh, or UConn or both for basketball. Um, and that still can happen down the road. We'll see kind of how what the direction is. But I'm going to tell you the one thing that made me happier than anything is <laughs> Utah's coming Holy war, baby. I'm excited about this. I've already told my bosses, like, y'all need to send me that game the first time that they play. Uh, I absolutely want to be at this game. Um, you know, I, I, it's a hatred like no other. Um, to me, this is – the hatred between these two, it probably, you know, it rivals what the Big 12 had with Texas and Oklahoma, pure hatred. I mean, just absolutely can't stand each other. And that's what college sports is all about. We love the rivalry, the pageantry. So – Tyler, I have to say the Holy War coming back. I'm excited about it. Yeah, it'll be a lot of fun. I mean, you know, this rivalry is going to have a lot more juice than it's had in a while. Um, You know, worth remembering that these two teams played in the same conference for almost a century. You know, from 1922 to 2010, this was a conference game when they played. Um, Hasn't been since, obviously, Utah moved to the Pac-12, BYU went independent in 2011. You know, it's going to be a lot of fun. and, And, you know, obviously, we've already started to see online, you know, Utah fans didn't want to join the, didn't want to follow BYU to the big 12 BYU didn't want Utah joining them in the big 12. Um, it's just, it's great rivalry fodder. I think if there's a silver lining in 
the lack of care for traditional rivalries in this whole process. It's that this one at least has gotten a bit revamped. Absolutely. And speaking of Utah, uh, coming into the Big 12, from a football perspective, I'm excited about it. Obviously, I'm a Big 12 guy. I got my uh, Mike Lee shirt on. I got the Texas Tech flag here. Uh, so as the unofficial spokesman of the Big 12, I'm excited about Utah. Uh, you know, Kyle you know, Kyle Whittingham has been one of the most consistent head coaches in college football. Um, you know, he may not have those 14-0 and seasons, but as far as consistency, I don't think there's another coach uh, really that has shown that. So that makes me excited about the huge program coming in. It's got plenty of Texas ties. Uh, when you look at their running back, uh, you know, Jaquinta Jackson was a transfer uh, from the University of Texas. Uh, they've constantly gone into Texas and got players. So uh, for me – uh, just from my standpoint, I'm excited about it. But, you know, Utah, like I said, I you know, they might be the best team, the best football program uh, in the new look Big 12 that begins in 2024. Yeah, I mean, that's what I was about to say. I think of all three of these teams, I think Utah is clearly the one that makes out the best. Um, you know, like you said, there's – I mean, this is a pro, uh, a conference that's set to lose o- Oklahoma and Texas. You don't really have – I mean, there's good programs here, but you don't really have a blue blood. This Utah team is maybe the closest you have to it. You know, they've really been running the Pac-12 the last couple of years, you know, in a, in, a, in a conference that, you know, very focused on, you know, air raid offensive style. They refused to comply with that. They didn't conform. They play, you know, very physical defense. They run the ball. I think – if they can keep that up in the big 12, they're going to be a, a wrecking ball in the conference. I mean, honestly, I think it's, it's, it's really going to work out pretty well for them. Um, you know, I think of, of, to me, they're, they're the best pickup for the big 12 in this entire realignment process, even including the four that are joining them this season. Yeah. And you know, that's, that says a lot considering I, I always felt that Utah was always a stretch. You know, it wasn't until the Big Ten did what they did that I thought for a second that Utah was actually coming to the Big 12. Um, You know, I I felt like they didn't want to. Uh, They kind of stuck up their nose at the Big 12 a year ago. Uh, And and now, you know, circumstances change and minds can be made. uh, Minds can be changed. So we'll see how it plays out. Now you look at uh, Arizona. Uh, Basketball-wise, we know about this program. We know what they've done. Uh, but, uh, you know, their football program, and we've talked about it, you know, when we did our preview of the Pac-12, they're a team that could be a surprise this year. Uh, you know, looking at Jane DeLore and that offense, uh, you know, you, you look at uh, wide receiver's name just, like, totally eluded me. Yeah, Jake Cowan. Uh, he's a guy who came from U- UTEP, you know, another Texas guy. Um, and I'm expecting big things of him this year, but when you look at Arizona, I think their football program's on the rise, and then that should uh, provide some excitement in the Big 12 uh, as well as what their basketball to do. You know, it's interesting, and I want to bring this up real quick. I'm, it's not off topic, but it kind of is. Like, do you feel like Utah, Arizona, Arizona State, and Colorado, they're going to probably be a one of those pods? I mean, that, that makes the most sense when it comes to future Big 12 scheduling. Yeah, I mean, you would think, considering how they've grouped them together the whole time, you know, in the whole realignment process, they've kind of been dubbed as a sort of package deal as the four corners, so you would think. Yeah, uh, but back to Arizona. Like, how, how are you feeling about their outlook uh, as they come into the Big Twelve in twenty twenty four? Yeah, it's an interesting one because you know, a program, at least football wise, hasn't been like super relevant um, either on in the Pac twelve or on the national stage in a while. Um, it's it's been a little bit, 
with that being said, you know, I think there we talked about this on the Pac-12 preview. I think there I I'm cautiously optimistic about the direction that program's heading under Jed Fish. I don't know if it's if this is the year that they're like super competitive, but maybe by the time they get to the Big 12 in 2024, they're in a better spot. And I think it's worth pointing out, you know, as much as we talk about football and and football is the driving force behind all this, I do think Brett Yormark is is keeping in mind basketball with a lot of these decisions. I mean, I think he's the sort of, you know, the, the, the top priority has been developing the football in the league, but I think the sort of second tier priority has also been building the best basketball conference in the country, which he's done. Um, and adding a program like Arizona kind of solidifies that, you know, and, and they're good in a lot of lower sports too. You know, I've had success in baseball and stuff. So I, I think, they're just a good athletic department, uh, you know, big money flagship university for state. It, it makes a lot of sense in that in that sense. But I do think that they'll probably be more of a middle tier team, at least right off the bat. And it's not surprising to hear Brett Yormark or see Brett Yormark trying to make basketball a priority. If you know his background, he, you know, he was part of the Brooklyn Nets. Uh, front office. So, I mean, he has a basketball background, not surprising. You've seen some of the deals that he's made with like, you know, Rucker Park, the historic Rucker Park in, in New York and trying to bring basketball, football games to Mexico City and, and, and Mexico. And we'll see what all he does moving forward. Uh, but then you have Arizona State, who kind of reminds me of Baylor not too long ago. Uh, you know, got into a little bit of trouble. Now they got to go with a new coach, Kenny Dillingham, a young guy. Uh, that can really infuse some youth. He's going back to his home state. You know he wants to be there. Um, I, I think Arizona State is a good one as well. I mean, Arizona State, Arizona was kind of always going to be a package deal. Uh, but there's still a lot to like about Arizona State and not just being, hey, we got to go with Arizona because that's where they want to be. Yeah, I think across the board, probably ASU is the weakest ad here, at least on paper. But I, I do really like the potential, um, you know, under Kenny Dillingham. Obviously, the, the Herm Edwards situation, that was a bad situation. They got out of it, um, you know, and I think they've made the right decision with Kenny Dillingham. You know, this is a program that is in, you know, is in Tempe, which is, you know, in the metro area of Phoenix, one of the biggest metro areas in the entire country. There's a lot of recruiting talent in that area. He's got good connections at those local high schools. He's doing a good job. And, and I think – you know, you hope that moving to the Big 12 will maybe give him some inroads, some more inroads, at least in the state of Texas, you know, maybe expand their recruiting horizons a little bit. This program has potential. They're in the worst spot of these three, probably at this exact moment in time. I don't think that's necessarily going to be the case for that long, though. I think that they could probably get back to being competitive pretty quickly under Kenny Dillingham. Oh, absolutely. And you look at the work that he's done with Bo Nix at Auburn, Jordan Travis at Florida State. Uh, and then Bo Nix again. So you have to like what he does like as a development as far as quarterbacks are concerned uh, because outside of him, it hadn't really seemed like Bo Nix had had that great of success. We'll see how he does with Will Stein this year. Uh, yeah, but there's a lot of success there. And, yeah, he can kind of work into the, the Texas recruiting grounds, which is, which is huge for the Big 12 just because, well, everybody really, because everybody wants to go to the state of Texas and recruit. Uh, we see it across the country, not just uh, the Big 12. But, you know, that brings me to my next question and my, our next topic. What do we make of the, the Pac-4, the P4C? I don't know what to call it. Uh, we have four teams left. We have California. We have Stanford. 
We have Washington State. We have Oregon State. And I'm going to tell you right now, if I'm looking at the four of those schools, if I am an administrator, if I am a commissioner of a league, the one team I do not care about is Cal. They bring absolutely nothing. Um, but I could see as them getting in somewhere if it's a package deal along with Stanford to bring the last two remaining California schools. Yeah, which – you know, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about that in a second, but that's not entirely out of the realm of possibility. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I think you're right. Cal is sort of the one here that seems like the odd man out. Um, and, and you know, for now it's at four. We'll see if that changes. But at this moment in time, that's where the league's at heading into 2024. Look, man, it's really sad. I mean, I, I truly do feel for, you know, these teams. And I mean, you look at, I just look at like a program like Wazoo, like that's one of the most passionate fan bases in college football. Like even, you know, even though it's looked like this is kind of where the game has been heading for the last decade or so, I, I really just didn't foresee a possibility where a program like that could, you know, be, be sort of left behind with nowhere to go. Uh, but, you know, that's, that's, I think that's where we're at. And I don't know what they do moving forward. Um, you know, I think that, I think that, you know, maybe you can merge with the Mountain West like we talked about earlier. Maybe you go into Texas and you add SMU. Maybe you add San Diego State. You add, like, Colorado State or something. All of these are, are sort of, you know, last-ditch efforts to try to save something that I, I don't know if can be saved. And, yeah, and then there's the possibility that ACC has met. Uh, no vote was taken as to what they potentially cow in Stanford. Uh, but we've also heard that the AAC has looked at adding uh, those remaining teams. So, I mean, they're going to have options. It's not going to be the great options. And, and, and then you lose your power five autonomy. Um, so I think a reverse merger is really what they want to do. Uh, but, you know, it also brings up a valid question. They had this deal on the table with Apple. If Pac-12 does a reverse do those numbers that they were given by Apple go down? Uh, because you have no Oregon anymore, no Washington. Who's your big team that's going to be leading the way? You don't have Utah. You don't have any of the Arizonas. Uh, it's going to be really interesting to see uh, because if, when you look at the four remaining teams, I, I don't know anybody that's really going to pay that much uh, for those no, teams. I don't, it, it is unfortunate. Yeah, no, I mean, I just completely agree. I don't, I don't know if there's a viable path for – those teams uh, on their own. I mean, I, I think they need to either package up together or go find some league that'll take them, but it's, it's not ideal. Mountain West is probably the most likely. Yeah. Uh, if you look at it, uh, what do you make of this report that the pack nine wanted to go to the big 12, <laughs> seven of them wanted to go to the big 12. As long as you leave Oregon state and Washington state behind, it made me chuckle, but also at the same time, given that we're not hearing a whole lot about Oregon State, Washington State, might be some validity to that. Yeah, I mean, the, the primary reason I'm skeptical here is because it doesn't really seem like at any point that Oregon and Washington took their eyes off of the Big Ten. You know what I mean? So, so I kind of have a hard time believing. I mean, maybe this, maybe it was like, happened as like a one-off like Oregon was entertaining the idea but would only do it if you know Oregon State was left out or something I mean look it it wouldn't surprise me because that's I mean this sort of 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 philosophy is kind of how we've gotten here you know the, the willingness to kind of stab each other in the back and and you know while, while you know putting forth a public face of unity you know 
going to Congress and trying to get federal legislation to protect you from NIL and stuff like that, while, you know, at the same time going behind and stabbing other programs in your conference in the back, you know, even programs in the same state university system. I mean, this is, like I said, that's kind of par for the course. So if that happened, it wouldn't surprise me, but I am just skeptical because that sounds like a, first of all, that sounds like a tactical leak. Second of all, I don't know if that really goes along with everything else we had heard in the last week. It's almost like bits and pieces of it are true. Yeah. But they just slapped it all together. One other thing, let's slip, throw it against the wall, see if it's thick. Uh, you know, like I said, it made me raise my eyebrow, but, you know, based on how OSU and Wazoo were being viewed, but I don't know that I believed all of it. Uh, but it was interesting nonetheless. So the next question is, are we done with realignment? Uh, if you had asked me this on Friday – when I was feeling like the Pac-12 was going to stick together, I probably would have said yes, but uh, tap those brakes. Uh, we got ACC problems, uh, mostly coming out of Tallahassee, uh, you know, those crazy knolls. Uh, what do you make of it? Uh, independent, trying to go to the SEC, the Big Ten, get some money to come in to help them buy out of that contract. Uh, Tyler, we got a lot going on here. Yeah, and – we have a lot going on here. Look, the ACC, I mean, let's just be honest right now. This conference is sort of exclusively being held together by a contract. I mean, uh, you know, that grant of rights deal runs through 2036. That's pretty much the only thing keeping at least FSU from going elsewhere. Um, you know, they obviously, the, the, the rumor the last couple days has been that they're starting to entertain the idea of possibly taking Cal and Stanford um, as a package. They met as of today is Tuesday, the 8th. As of this morning, they met, um, didn't hold a vote or anything on adding them. Seems like they're kind of taking their time on that. I mean, the ACC is not really in as much of a rush as other conferences have been to make moves. Uh, I mean, but obviously that hasn't stopped Florida State from feeling a lot of anxiety. Um, you know, they've been holding meetings like crazy discussing, you know, the viability of a move. You know, we mentioned on the podcast last week, the president of the, or the chair of their board of regents or sorry, board of trustees said that the grant of rights won't prevent them from leaving. I mean, we'll see about that because now it's, it's sounding like for the, the, the cons more consistent number I'm hearing is that the exit fee is somewhere in the neighborhood of like $120 million, but there's probably added on fees. I mean, like we don't, I don't think we really know what the true total cost of, of getting out of that grant of rights would be when it's all said and done, but it's obviously a lot of money and seemingly to help raise that they've hired JP Morgan, you know, private equity, private equity firm to try to raise some institutional money, presumably to pay a buyout of some sort to get out of the ACC. I mean, we'll see. They obviously want an unequal revenue sharing model where them and Clemson and, and whoever is deemed the top programs are you know making more money than the other programs. The ACC has no real reason to give into that. Um, and, and, you know, for Clemson's part, kind of the other uh, premier program in the conference, there doesn't really seem to be as much smoke around, around them. They, they're kind of, they kind of seem to be more chilling in the, in the, the current situation. So, I don't really know. I mean, obviously, we're seeing a lot of anxiety from FSU. They clearly are not happy with where they're standing, um, you know, in, in the ever-changing landscape. But I don't know if there's much that they can really do about it right now. And I don't think this is something that's going to happen this year. Uh, if they were to get out, I think it's going to happen next year. Uh, if not, yeah, if they, not even like two years from now, yeah. 
Yeah, when they get the notice that they're leaving. Um, yeah. You know, it's there, there's a lot to be said there. You know, you bring up a good point about the une- you know, the, the unequal revenue sharing and they want a bigger cut. Uh, it brings up the, the valid question that I'm going to leave in, in closing here is, when's Ohio State going to get upset that Rutgers is getting as much money as them when Rutgers brings nothing football-wise? That, you know, I, and I think it brings up a valid question, and, I you know, I just think it – could lead to more chaos in the Which, near future. And that's part of the reason why I don't think the ACC will ultimately acquiesce to that because no other conference operates that way. Um, and, and and at the end of the day, I still don't think, you know, you could give FSU their unequal rev share model. That's still not going to keep them from bolting for the SEC or the Big Ten the moment the money becomes, you know, reasonable. So, I, I mean, if I were the ACC, I wouldn't cave to anything because I don't think they have any reason to and FSU has no leverage right now. That is absolutely true. Uh, that will do it for this edition of the, uh, I guess you'd call this the emergency pod. Uh, kind of interrupting the vacation. I'm going to go back to vacation, and uh, I am going to be truthful when I say, for Tyler, I'm Patrick.